0: Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Anybody want to trade yeah. places? I'd be glad to sit down for a while. Yeah. this going to be fun, right? I mean, once again, we are stuck wondering if this book was written for planet Earth, right? What is going on here? I even, I love how, I mean, every time I listen to it, okay, and, and read it and, and hear these words, it's like it gets more and more confusing. Like every sentence is sort of more difficult than the previous. And then Paul's like, oh, it's because of the angels. Right. What? I mean, I just, I have no idea what that means. I mean, even after all this, I have no idea the angels. So don't, if you're curious about that, don't even go there. Um, So so one one scholar writes about these words. He said, this passage is probably the most complex, controversial, and opaque of any text of comparable length in the New Testament. So we've got that going for us. Um, Long hair, head coverings, uh, the head of who is the head of what, prophecy, and that weird thing uh, about angels. Like, what is, what is going on here, right? And especially if you're a woman, right? Uh, you may not be entirely sure what Paul is saying, but you're pretty sure you don't like it, right? I mean, isn't that true? It's like something is like, I know there's something here that I'm not going to, yeah, I, I get that, right? And, and you also probably, women, you probably recognize I'm a, I'm a man, right? And that inevitably creates some distance, doesn't it? I mean, I can only see this issue from my, my own very, very narrow male perspective. I did have several women read everything that I'm going to say, um, including a counselor and speaking into that, giving me feedback, and so I hope that I'm able to at least see a little bit beyond myself, but I know, I know that I'm, I'm going I'm to view this from my, my perspective, and that's, that's difficult. And, and meanwhile, a few of you men, hopefully it's just a few, um, are kind of getting a little bit excited, Right? Because you're thinking, you know, finally somebody to sort of put her in her place, right? <laughs> well, let me stop you right there, moron, okay? Because <laughs> I know that's some of you, right? You're like, oh man, I'm glad we came to church today. That's not what's happening here, okay? That is not what Paul is trying to do, and it's certainly what I, not what I'm going to try to communicate this morning. And yet it's obvious, right? We hear these words, we read them, and we realize, yes, we've, we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? I mean, what does all this mean? Well, again, there, there are lots of questions here that we're not gonna answer, right? There's just too many. The people are all over the map. And what, what these words mean, there's, a, there's more that we don't understand than what we do understand, quite honestly. And yet the big picture of what Paul is trying to communicate, what I think he's getting at, and, and really if there's just one thing that you remember uh, from our time together this morning, I hope it's this. It is for glory God made us different. It is for glory God made us different. And I know I've probably alienated some of you already, right? Because as soon as we start talking about the differences between men and women, we get into very, very dangerous territory, right? Because we we project all these sort of cultural stereotypes, the things that we think are true that may or may not have even been remotely on the page 2,000 years ago. It's, it's kind of a dangerous place for us to be in, and many of us, if we're honest, are pretty skeptical that the Bible has anything meaningful to say about gender, gender in our, in our culture. But at the same time, I mean, whether, whether you're a Christian or not, just look around. It doesn't take long to realize that we're pretty broken in this area, aren't we? I mean, even, even with all our advances as humans, right, uh, w- there's still so much heartache, uh, so much disappointment and frustration and, and, and conflict, right, between men and women. I'm not just talking about between husband and wife. This is bigger than that for all of us. There is a divide here among us. Not to mention the fact that women everywhere, everywhere across the world continue to be exploited and abused at rates that are just unprecedented despite all of our advances right and having it all sort of figured out that hasn't gone away and so many men so many of us we we waver between sort of this abject passivity on one side or absolute sort of domination on the other or we just sort of drift right in this this unending kind of adolescence many of us are right there we're broken people aren't we and one of the first things that we learn in Genesis chapter 3, this is when uh, sin enters the world, right? We declared war on God and everything sort of fell, fell apart. One of the first things we learn is that we are broken. This brokenness affects us at the very core of who we are. It's not a surface brokenness, right? It goes deep within us and that affects our gender, how, how we understand ourselves, how we understand each other. It affects every one of our relationships. I mean, really, in the fall, it's as if God says to Adam and Eve, you know what? You're not going to get along anymore, That's over now. And yes, we're we're being redeemed for more. Our our relationships are being restored for more, God. God has a plan for us uh, together, right? He's putting the pieces back. And yet, we cannot even imagine gender dynamics without the taint of sin. It colors everything that we see. Every statement, every motive, right? Every action. It's all colored by our brokenness. Now let me, let me pause for just a second here, because if, if you're new, right, if, if you're a guest this morning, or maybe you're, you're newer here, um, and, and maybe you, you came in this morning having, even if you're a church person, having never heard a sermon out of 1 Corinthians 11, and really hoping that you would never here, a sermon out of 1 Corinthians 11. Well, let me I, let me explain how we got here, right? This isn't like our favorite topic, okay? This isn't a go-to thing for us, not not even in the least. But we take this book really seriously, the Bible. Uh, and we have been going through together First Corinthians. Uh, this is a letter in the New Testament, something Paul wrote uh, about 2,000 years ago to a church, uh, very different from ours and yet very similar, right? Uh, and he wrote this down for them and now for us. And we believe that God continues to speak from his word. And so at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if we understand it or not, or even if we like it all. If God is speaking, then we've got to listen, and God has to have permission in our lives, right, to confront us, to convict us, to challenge us, to say things that we don't understand, to say things that we, that we just don't, we just don't like, and so we take, we take this book seriously. But let me, let me kind of catch up even where we are contextually here in, in 1 Corinthians. And so uh, for those of you who've been around these last few months, you, you're probably following it already to some extent. But for, for those of you who haven't, we'll, we'll try to catch you up. But essentially, the, the church in Corinth there, they think that they've arrived, right? They've got it all figured out. Everything's fine and dandy. And they're like Jesus', you know, perfect best friend or whatever. That's, that's what they think. But we've seen over and over, and Paul knows this, that they're a mess, Right? Uh, everywhere they turn, it is, it is chaos in Corinth, and it's not just in their personal lives. That's where we've, where we've spent, really, the last few weeks together, and their personal issues uh, together. It's not just there. It's even in their gatherings. I mean, they can't even do church right, okay? And they're making a mess of, of, of everything. And really there's three issues, we'll see these in the coming weeks uh, together, three issues within their collective gatherings. The first one is this, this thing with women and head coverings, and, and whatever's happening there, right, whatever's going on, we'll do our best to try to understand it a little bit, uh, but whatever's happening there, it's, it's ripping the church apart, it's causing all kinds of, of issues. And next week we'll see that uh, the Lord's Supper as well, like communion, you know, the bread and the wine, taking that, like they, they can't even do that right, like, they're, they're blowing, it's cause, Paul says to them, your church services are causing more harm than good, right? Which is, I mean, that seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? And, and then in the third week, and really we'll, we'll or the third issue, we'll spend a few weeks there, uh, that they are even sort of manipulating and showing off with their spiritual gifts, right? These things within the church that they think make them better than one another. I mean, they've, they've turned the church into the very worst episode of America's Got Talent, right? It's just all about them, it's self, it's just, it gets ridiculous, it, it does, so that's that's kind of the context that we've got here. And each one of those three issues are all deeply relational, centering upon the many ways in which God has made us different, not just just gender. You see, our differences as human beings, they either drive us apart, right? Endlessly drifting further and further away from one another. I think we all feel that. Or they can be a place of great beauty and joy and glory. And not, not just our own glory and joy, though that's part of it, but ultimately for God's glory, the, the display of his goodness, his creativity, and the story that he's trying to tell with this world. So this morning we, we're gonna have to wrestle with, with three questions in particular as we, as we get at this whole piece of what, what's going on with men and women here. Three questions. First of all, why do we hate these words? Um, second, uh, why do we need these words? And third, just how do we live them? How do we try to live these words out for us? But before we do that, let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. God, we, we need you every week, but there are, are certain um, topics, certain passages that are just so hard for us to understand. And not just hard to understand, but hard for us to know how to apply and hard to know how they fit into a culture like ours. And so God, I pray that you would speak. Thank you that you do speak through your word to us, that you're still concerned for your people. God, I am so thankful that you are smarter than any of us here in this room. You know better how our lives ought to look and what our relationship should be. And God, I'm so thankful that you care about justice and equality more than anybody. And so God, I I pray that regardless of what comes out of our time together, that we would know and believe that 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 is the foundation of all of these things and that there is great beauty in our differences and that you can be glorified. God, I pray that we would see that when we don't understand your word, um, and when we don't like what you have to say, I pray that we would see that the problem is ours, not yours. So God, give us a position of humility before you, eager to hear from you. And God, I pray that that would be my, my tone this morning. God, I want to learn from you. I want to hear from you. I want to live as you call and command us. I pray that that would be f- true for all of us. So be with us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so why do we hate these words? I know hate's kind of a, a strong word, right? Um, but if we're honest, at first glance, some of us do kind of hate them, right? Or, or at least hate what we think they, they, they mean. I mean, truth be told, I kind of hate that they're in 1 Corinthians, right? Because otherwise we could just sort of ignore them for a while. Um, but they're here, and so we have to address them. But um, there are three reasons, I think, why we feel sort of this, this inward yuck, right, when we hear these words. Three, three things in particular. First of all, Uh, we just don't understand them I mean I think that's the first right you you read it and you hear it and you're just like I mean I've been studying this for a couple weeks right we have five uh, you know teachers this morning at all of our campuses teaching on these things we've been working together trying to figure out and honestly understanding is is half the battle maybe more so and we're not going to answer all of your questions not even not even a portion of them as you hear uh, those words that were read And nobody, truthfully, I I don't think, as much as I've been reading um, into this and commentaries and scholars and historians and all of that, I don't think anybody really knows exactly what's going on with these head coverings. I mean, it was such a unique, specific cultural practice during this time period. There's just just not a lot of cultural evidence and and historical, um, you know, stuff to be able to build a whole lot upon. And yet what I... I'm pretty confident, and I think very confident, in with these words, that it is a cultural practice, the head coverings. Um, for us, it's very different, right? But for, for a woman back then in that culture, uh, to have your head uncovered in public would communicate that you were unmarried and sexually available. And so there was kind of a, a message to, to go with that, right? With, with your appearance, it was a, a thing that would communicate. So you've got to imagine, then, within the context of the church, right, um, and again, we're we're so far apart culturally. We don't we don't understand it. We project it into our terms. But you got to understand what's going on there, right? Before we can understand what's going on here, and, and so imagine uh, a church standing up to pray or to preach, um, there in that, that first century church. And even let me say, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament uh, is very similar to the gift of preaching today. It's not the, it's not the same, but they're 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 close. And so uh, Paul is talking about, acknowledging the fact that women would do that within the first century church. they would prophesy and they would preach. He gives them instructions to do so. And Paul is okay with that as are we at Christ' community. That's why we had Pastor Jeanette out here uh, just a few weeks ago to do that as well. But, but imagine though, so it's not, it's not the fact that she's a woman speaking, but imagine her doing so, Uh, Getting up to to preach, to proclaim a a message from God, that's kind of the idea of prophecy, Uh, to do that, uh, but also communicating, even if unintentionally, right, and very subtly, but nevertheless, communicating that she was with her body, uh, communicating that she's looking for a lover, right? That, that's kind of what would be happening there. So maybe today it would be a little bit like, you know, not wearing a wedding ring or, or, or dressing sort of uh, very, very inappropriately, you know, in a setting like this, that, that kind of thing. Uh, regardless, right, it's just, it's not helpful, okay? And so today, head coverings don't communicate any of that, right? It's not part of our cultural practice. It wouldn't, if, I, if you as a woman were wearing a hat or not wearing a hat, it doesn't tell us anything about who you are, right? And so it's very, it's very different uh, for us. The point isn't the head covering. The point is propriety. Uh, the point is honoring the, the relationships and the distinctions between men and women. So essentially, that's, that's what's going on with, with the head covering. But maybe, maybe you're thinking, though, and I, and I wouldn't blame you at all, right? Maybe you're thinking, well, how can we just sort of pick and choose what's cultural in our Bibles and what's not, Right? I mean, it'd be kind of easy to just say, well, I don't like this, and so that's cultural, we're not going to do that, and I like this, and so that's not cultural, and so we'll do. how do we decide? That's a really good question, and honestly, it's, it's something that we, every time we, ha- we open our Bibles, we have to be, be aware of, right? But you have to remember, when you open your Bible and begin to read it, that the Bible was written for you, but it was not written to you. There's a big difference there. It was written for us, right? God is speaking, and these words have something to do with us, and there are things that we need to learn that God continues to speak to us in these words. But, you know, Paul's letter doesn't begin, Dear Nathan, um, this is how you should live. This is what it looks like in your life. Love God, right? It'd be nice if that was the case. And honestly, though, that's, that's often how we approach our Bible, isn't it? We're so individualistic, we're so self-centered, frankly, as a culture, uh, that we just assume that everything here is directly uh, related to me, that it's all, it's all about me. And it's true that it's for us, but it's not, it's not directly to you. And so every time you open your Bible, you have to ask, what, what is the author trying to communicate to that culture? What is he trying to say to them? And what would they have heard, right? Because it's, it's two, audience, two people there, right? Two groups. What would they have heard? And then ask the question, well, what does that have to do with me today? You can't just jump to, what is this about for me? You have, you have to do some of the hard work of figuring out, what is it first? What is first being said for that place and for that time and culture? And so, um, Paul even, even gives us a little bit of a clue here uh, with this. In, in verse 10, for example, um, he refers to head coverings as a symbol of authority. That's a little clue that this is, it's a symbol, right? It's, it's not the actual thing, which is the thing that matters, uh, but, but a symbol. So he even, he even kind of calls it out there that it's, a, it's something other um, than what it seems. And I would say, we're not, we won't spend a lot of time on this, um, thank goodness, um, but I'd say it's the same with men with long hair, what, what Paul is, is getting at there. Um, I mean, the Old Testament talks about different men having long hair. It's part of the Nazarite vow, right? This sort of holiness vow where people like you know, Samson, John the Baptist would have had long hair. And so it's not like a categorical statement that you should, no man should ever have long hair. But what Paul is saying there is that there in that context, for some reason, in, in the culture of Corinth, which we know very little about, uh, it would have communicated uh, that there was a blurring of genders for, for a man to have a long hair. It would have been a, a sort of a rejection of his identity as a man. That's that's what's going on there in that culture. Does that make sense a little bit? Are you following that? It's not the things itself. It's not about hair. It's not about head coverings. It's about what those things would have communicated in, in that culture and we'll talk about this more in a minute, try to spell out what does this actually look like. Um, but the point that Paul is getting at, um, that I'm, I'm convinced of, and you might disagree with me, but I'm, I'm convinced what he's getting at is that there is something unique, uh, something beautiful about men and women that cannot simply arbitrarily be dismissed. That We can't just sort of say we're all, we're all the same because we're not. I, 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 Paul is getting at the fact that we, we're, we're different and there's something beautiful about that. Okay, so that's, that's just some of the basic sort of understanding things, to get some of those out of the way. There's, we've got a lot more work to do. Um, but that's not the only reason we don't like these words. Not just a matter of understanding. It's that we've seen abuse by them, haven't we? And maybe not these words in particular, maybe, maybe other spots in the Bible that's sort of like, what is this saying about women? But the reality is we we live in a world in which women are regularly overlooked or exploited or abused, right? And so when we hear words like that, our, our guards rightfully go up, right? Because we don't, we don't want to stand for that. that, is, that is, there's no place for anyone, right, made in the image of God for it to be abused or exploited. And so our first thought is, okay, what, how is this going to be abused? I, I saw this sadly poignant cartoon last week. Look at this. I'll read on the left side first. Everything covered but her eyes. What a cruel male-dominated culture. Nothing covered but her eyes. What a cruel, male-dominated culture. And They're both right, aren't they? I mean, it even shows the fact that, that culture, our culture plays such a big difference into all of these things for us, the way we even view this. But the reality is, men, I mean, we need to own this. We can find a way to abuse and exploit a woman in any circumstance. And we have done so since the beginning of the human race, haven't we? And so when we, when we hear words like this, yes, we want to we rightfully say, okay, we've got to be careful here, right? Because we don't want any woman to be abused. And women, I, let me just say, I'm, I'm sorry that we men are like that, that we've been like that, that we have done things and are doing things. Maybe that's even your circumstance. I'm so sorry. I mean, if you, if you are in a place where you feel like you are being abused emotionally or physically or, or neglected in any way because you're a woman, please tell somebody. We as a church, we will do anything we can to stand with you, to fight for you, and, and to be there in your rights. Because that is not what Paul's talking about. That's not what God calls any of us to at all. I mean, even, even just just going to the sort of the sickness within our society, it's like, you know, the boxing match last night. Like, anybody just wish Mayweather had just been crushed, right? Because of his history of domestic violence. And yet, anyway, he's, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the point is these words, I'm not really a boxing fan, but I really wanted him to be pummeled. Just, <laughs> just a bloody, yeah, okay, you need to repent. Um, but these words, okay, these words, they can be abused, and they have been abused. Um, and, and people come out of traditions in which these words are abused, absolutely, but they don't have to be. The Bible is not anti-women. Everything we read in this book, we have to remind ourselves, again, locating it in their place, in their culture, takes place in a a culture in which women had no rights. And so the very fact that Paul and Jesus both push back hard against their culture ought to grab our attention. Because Paul and Jesus both affirm and value and, and seek out the rights of women in ways that would have been absolutely unheard of in their culture. I mean, the early church, there's great historical record of this, both in the Bible and in, in documents surrounding that time period, uh, that the church was a safe place for women, caring for them, uh, giving them places of dignity and roles of significance that were absolutely unheard of in the ancient world. The trouble is we, we look back at them, right, from our perspective, and we call them regressive, right? They're so backwoods, right? But we, gotta, we gotta take them on their terms first, right? Where they were, I mean, they would have been considered ridiculously progressive, In that culture, pushing for things that people hadn't even considered as possibilities for women. The Bible is not anti-women. We don't want anyone, for any reason, ever to experience abuse. The third reason—that's the. This is the hard one, really because um, we can kind of move past some of those other ones a little bit, gain a little bit of understanding, say, okay, yeah, we think these words have some val- validity for us. We're not going to uh, abuse them, but the reality is, the third thing, we just don't have a category for words like this in our culture, because um, it sounds like Paul is putting limitations on women that he's not placing on men, and we don't like limits, do we? We don't like to be told that we can't do anything, uh, regardless, right? That's why uh, we as parents, you know, we keep telling our kids that you can do and be anything you want to be, which we know is a lie, right? I mean, kids, I'm sorry, you, you can't, right? There are limits, right? We, we are limited by ourselves, by our personalities, by who we are, by our culture, by our, our resources. There are limits on us everywhere, and yet we fight against them. And so let's, let's get at this. This difficulty with, with the next question. Why do we need these words? Why do we need them? Well, three things here as well. Uh, first, why do we need these words? There's glory in being different, there's glory in being different. And so even at first glance, right, there's something beautiful about being different that Paul recognizes, that God recognizes us as different. We're not the same. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that. Most feminists today, right, even on the extreme side would say, yes, that we are different. Men and women are not the same. And those differences are more than just biological, right? That there are things that are unique about the way God designed us. And there's something beautiful about that. Something that, something that really should cause us to step back and celebrate and to, to worship. Not us, right, for being different, but the God who, who came up with such a creative plan to tell his story. Something glorious within us. Now, it's the specifics that throw us off, right? Can't put this off any longer, so let's, let's look at verse 3. Verse 3, Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of, wa- of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, this is where it gets a little bit stickier, right? Now, Paul is not saying, and nowhere does the Bible communicate that, that men are somehow better or more qualified or gifted or anything like that than women. Absolutely not. In fact, Paul says elsewhere in Galatians, for example, he says, There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is not an issue of equality at all. It, it cannot be not if we understand all of what God is saying with with this book, right, and the story that he's telling. It is not an issue of equality, and yet Paul doesn't think we're all the same. He thinks that God made us different, that God probably did it on purpose, right, and has a reason for doing so. And there's really no way of getting around this, right? Paul believes that men ought to be in a position of authority. But men, don't miss First, what what Paul says to you. Because it's easy to sort of rush over. We like to get to the part with, you know, talking about women and all that. But Paul makes it very clear that your authority is Christ. That means your authority at work, your authority in your home, your authority when nobody is around, nobody is watching. You are accountable to Christ. Focus on yourself. And, and submit to him, right? We've got to begin there, and I, I, we, we have to start there. And, and honestly, man, if we, could, if we could actually do that, like, halfway, imagine how much easier to make the rest of this passage, right? I mean, the reason so many women understandably sort of push back against words like this is because they know us, Right? They've met us men, and sometimes we're the worst, right? And we do take, and we do abuse and take advantage and ignore, and all those kinds of things to get our own way. Shame on us. We make it so difficult. and God calls us to so much more in all of our relationships. It says the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So what does it mean? for the husband to be the head of his wife. I don't know. Um, Paul gives a, a, a clarifying word picture in here. I kind of love that he does this. cracks me up. Um, he says that it's, it's just the same as Christ is, uh, that the head of Christ is God, right? That's what he says. It's just like that, guys, right? Uh, basically, he says it's just like the Trinity, right? And we all understand how the Trinity works, right? Um, And so it's like that, and so quit your worrying. It's just like the Trinity. I I, I mean, it it makes me laugh, right? And yet I love that he does that because he's he's showing us this is a mystery beyond understanding. I mean, in the same way that our God that we worship as Christians can be both three and one, and one and three all at the same time, in the same way we we men and women, the way we interact, the way we relate to one another, the way we figure out all of our relationships and roles, it's a mystery. And not a mystery to be solved, but one to be enjoyed. One to sit back and wonder and say, this this is what our God has done. He's made us like him. Him who exists as as Trinity, right? As three in one. should sort of blow us away, shouldn't it? And yet... Also, we learn from the Trinity that that God the Father, he's in a position of authority over God the Son. And that's very clear. While on earth, Jesus trusted his Father, submitted to him. And yet at the same time, we know, right, at the very core of our beliefs, it doesn't mean that Jesus is less, right? Uh, Of course not. That'd be be absolute heresy. Jesus is, is fully God, equal to the Father, and yet he's different. And Jesus willingly emptied himself of all of his rights to save us, but he never ceased to be God and if that's the relationship between god the father and god the son as we look at the relationship between men and women i mean this ought to be a place of incredible dignity and worth i mean looking at this right that we get we get to mirror god in ways that we can't even begin to understand not not some not not somehow less but a place for glory i think of it a little bit like a dance i mean if the dancers are good um you can't really tell who's who's leading right Uh, But somebody's leading. Uh, But it's it's not out of sort of domineering authority. It's a picture of of beauty and grace, of of mutual submission and trust and togetherness, right? It's a a partnership. And you you don't see it. You can't even necessarily explain it. And yet you know it's beautiful. You know something something good is there. The trouble is we're broken and we've turned it into more of like a, you know, ultimate cage fighting, haven't we? Go back to what Paul said with head coverings and haircuts. Because with all of this, what Paul, Paul is saying okay, is that whatever it looks like, and he doesn't, he doesn't spell it out, he doesn't say this is exactly what it should be for the 21st century, what it, what it ought to look like. But he says whatever it looks like, we're not the same. And that's a good thing. That, that God, he made you male or God made you female and we can live out those differences with joy. Relishing in their beauty, whatever, whatever that looks like for us. And if you are curious of, of what sort of implications a passage like this would have on the transgender uh, debate I'd be glad to send you some resources or, or recommend some to you because it does it does speak into that right that there's just something unique something important about God making us male and God making us us female it's not arbitrary now we'll get we'll get more practical in a second um, but let's let's wait till we see the full picture because there's a couple other things here about this the beauty of this right why we need these words um, second Second, there's glory in needing each other. It's not just that we're different and we can celebrate that. It's that we are, we are dependent on one another. We may be different, but we cannot, we cannot go it alone. And, and women, if you're feeling a little bit marginalized at this point, I love how Paul kind of lays into the men in this, this next part. Um, he throws it right back at us. It doesn't maybe sound like it at first, but I think, I think you'll understand it once we get through it a little bit. Um, but verse seven, he says, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. We'll have to kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, verse eight, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Okay, now hear me out, right? Um, the Bible declares very clearly that both men and women are fully created in the image of God. Absolutely, right? And Paul knows that. He's, he's probably got Genesis memorized, right? He knows that. And as a rabbi, he, he's not trying to contradict or change anything. He's not talking about our ontology, right? Who we are at our core. He, he's talking about chronology, right? And he's telling the story of Genesis, reminding us of, of how it unfolded so that we see our dependence on one another. If you're familiar with that story, right? Genesis 1 and 2, God makes everything. It's Adam and Eve living there. Uh, at first, it's just Adam, right? And the animals and the plants and all of that. And, and, and God tells Adam to get to work. Uh, he's got a responsibility to cultivate and keep the garden. This is, this is before sin entered the world, before everything fell apart. That Adam is supposed to do that. And yet it doesn't take long for, for God to realize, and God is perfect, right? He's done this on purpose, to, I think, to, to teach us, to show us our need for one another. Uh, but it's very clear that Adam's not cutting it that he can't do it, uh, that the task for humankind, the work that God has given to us as humans is too big, and so what is God's solution to that problem? It makes a woman. We forget that, don't we? I mean, we, we think of this text only in context of sort of what it means for marriage, but it's so much more than that. It runs to the very core of, of purpose and identity and, and our, our called to, to work and to be productive and, and all of that, and the reality is we can't do it without one another. We, we need each other. We are dependent on one another. And so as the story goes, God had, had made Adam out of dirt, which could be a lesson for us men. Um, <laughs> And Eve was, was made from Adam's rib, right? It's such, a, such an amazing story. The whole dream, you know, he falls asleep and, and all of that. And, and, and so Paul, he says in verse, verse 11, commentating on this, he says, Woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. And it's like in those last statements. In case we didn't catch, you know, in the creation story how dependent we are on one another. He's, he's saying there, yeah, sure, sure, Eve came out of a man, Don't forget, men, every other man since in the history of humans has come out of a woman. We're not able to do it on our own. We are dependent on one another. And I I love that Paul goes there, because I think Paul knows how easy it is for us men to abuse, to exploit, right, to take advantage. It doesn't prevent him from saying these words, and yet he throws it right right back at us, right? He's that, that... before we men even think about domineering, we've got to stop and realize that we are nothing without women. Even in a perfect world, back in the garden, we couldn't fulfill our work until God made a woman. There's glory in needing each other. I got an email this week from uh, someone in our, our church family. Wrestling through this text, you know, I had a, a quick conversation uh, last Sunday at Party in the Park, and, um, and she's a, a strong, smart, professional uh, woman. She grew up in a uh, culture, a kind of a setting in which she was required to wear a head covering, um, so to go to church or to, to pray in private or whatever. She had to, she had to cover her head, and, and for her in that context, it was, um, it was a, a tool of oppression, of reminding women that they were somehow, somehow less. Um, and she's not a part of that anymore, obviously. She's here and all of that. And she said something in the email that really just grabbed me. I love it. Let me read what she says. She says, as a female, this chapter can initially be offensive, but if it's read carefully, this passage can be a great example of the uniqueness of men and women created by God, created not for men to be superior to women, but made to complement each other. Imagine what the church would look like if it was only Men think about that for a second. Like, imagine that. She says, imagine what it would look like if it was only women. Think about that, right? I mean, strip away half the people in this room and think about everything that we would lose, how deficient we would be as as people. The way, the ways we, you know, I mean, it would just change everything, wouldn't it? And she continues, it is clear that we need combined respect, submission, commitment, and a whole lot of forgiveness. Do I hear an amen, she writes, in order to be united within the church and with God. And then she concludes, Nathan, if you're concerned about the possibility of offending members of the church with the upcoming sermon, just know that as long as there are donut holes, people will keep coming back. So, <laughs> that's a relief. So oh, glad, glad we got that covered. But don't miss what she's getting at there. It is for glory that God made us different. And the, the third thing, and I think this is the most important, as important as other, other things are, of the, uh, the differences that we can celebrate, the need that we have for one another, I love this third one. There's glory in being able to tell his story, tell God's story. Because everything, everything tells a story, right, people? I mean, that, that, everything. Everything. Everything is meant to tell the story of a God who loves, who pursues, who, who woos, who will do anything uh, to win a people for himself, even to the point of his own sacrifice, right? And a story of a people who respond to him with humility and with joy and submission. And so if you want to know why God did this, right? Why did he make it like this, make us different, and even with all the challenges and, and all of that, if you want to know why, in this specifics, I don't know, Right? I'd love love to ask him and figure out exactly why he did it like this, and yet I know in the grand scheme why he did it. It's why he does everything. He does everything because there's nothing he won't do to tell his story. Nothing to get his message out of of a God who loves and of a people who respond. That that is who our God is, and he he shows that with, with his son Jesus, right? And so men, for us, that means we get to tell the story of our life and everything we do, everywhere we go, everything we say, we get to tell the story of a God who chases his beloved even when she runs, who woos, who protects, who seeks her good over his own, who gives up everything, everything for the sake of her, even when she doesn't deserve it. That's, that's the story we get to tell because that's what, that's what Jesus, that's what he did for us. Is that, man, is that the story that we're telling? Is it the story that you are telling. <coughs> and women, right? It goes for us as well. And I know we, we men, we, we blow that first part. We don't make it easy for you to tell this part of the story. Do we? I, of course we don't. I'm sorry. But you get to tell the story of your life of the people who respond with joy and humility and grace and faithfulness and trust to this God who, who made us, who pursues us, who chases after us even, even when we don't deserve it. Is so that the story that you're telling? And then working together, right? Men and women together, serving each other, submitting to one another. I mean, if, you, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you have met this Jesus, you've encountered his news, isn't, is there nothing we wouldn't do, right? To tell the story, to help others get a glimpse of this great and beautiful God who does these things for his people. There's nothing, there's nothing we wouldn't do of course, none of this makes sense, right? I mean, at first glance, right, you read it, it's like, none of it. I mean, it's just, we don't have categories for this in our culture. It doesn't make sense at all. And yet, the gospel changes everything, including the way we view our world, the way we view ourselves, and the way we view one another. And this, I mean, really, if you think about it, if you've been around with 1 with Corinthians, this is what Paul has been saying week after week, isn't it? At the end of the day, he keeps telling them, sure, you've got your rights, Of course you do, and we love our rights, and we will do anything for our rights. But he keeps saying, Jesus is so much better than our rights. He's worth any sacrifice, giving up anything on both sides, both as men and women, as people who know him and follow him. There's nothing we wouldn't give up. So how do we do it? What does this actually look like? Well, let me even just say first off that... um, I actually like the fact that the Bible doesn't really tell us much of what it ought to look like. I mean, I think God is aware that cultures change, right? And these things look different in different cultures, the way men and women interact and, and all of that. So there's not a ton of specifics. But let's just try to give us a few handles, okay, on, on these things. So we kind of at least have a, a picture maybe of what, what God might be getting at here. Um, let, let's talk about the church first, because that's, that's really what Paul is talking about in this section, there's implications for the marriage relationship, and so we'll, we'll talk about that next. But really, he's talking about what it ought to look like within the church. And several, several years ago, we wrote a paper uh, on this subject talking about these texts as well as some of the other more pertinent texts like in First Timothy and those kinds of things that sort of detail uh, and outline our response and how we understand women in ministry and what that looks like here in this place. If you, if you want more detail than I can give you um, this morning, then please email me. Uh, or there's, there's a blog post on our website with the paper on it as well. Uh, hopefully that, that can be helpful. But let me at least summarize what our, our position is. Because it actually kind of gets even more confusing here. Um, sorry about that. Because um, we didn't talk about chapter 14 uh, in 1 Corinthians. This is the other spot where Paul talks about women uh, specifically in, in Corinthians. In chapter 11, right, Paul gives clear instructions for women how they are to pray and prophesy within, within the local church, right? Uh, what that ought to look like when they gather together in a community like this. Chapter 14, Paul tells women that they should be silent in church. That's also what he says in in 1 Timothy. Um, Did Paul forget what he said in chapter 11? Did he have like a stroke and like three chapters later he changed his mind? I don't, I don't think so. Paul's a pretty brilliant guy, right? I think he's got something going on here. And what again, This is what we've got to take Scripture in its context, right? We've got to understand what's going on in the surrounding places. And so chapter 14, for example, this is when we get to the spiritual gifts and everything's a mess and people are arguing and fighting and they're all trying to, frankly, they're all trying to be heard. Everybody, men and women alike. And Paul says very clearly in chapter 14 to all of the church, both men and women, why don't you just shut up once in a while, right? Uh, I mean, it says you go to church not to be heard, not to be served, not to be important, but to give of yourself, to hear and to learn and to serve others. And so he begins even there in chapter 14, and then specifically, so he tells that to men and to women. But as as for women in in chapter 14, it's in the context uh, of elders weighing the words that have been spoken, uh, giving doctrinal oversight uh, to the church. It's in that context that Paul is saying that the women are to refrain. So this passage, chapter 14, um, in particular, along with some of the other passages in the New Testament, have led us as a church at Christ Community to conclude that women are not to be elders here. Elder, that's our, sort of our highest uh, level of, of oversight. Now, if it helps, according to our bylaws, as a staff member, I'm not allowed to be an elder either. Um, I don't know if that helps or not, but everybody has limits, right? And we all live within our limits. Uh, but that is the only limitation. That is it that we believe that God puts on any of us when it comes to our relationships within the church. I think that's the only thing that, that is required. So, for example, we have uh, women pastors at Christ Community. Uh, pastor Jennifer, right, who leads us in many ways with our, with our kids. Uh, we call her a pastor because that's, that's what she da- does. That's how she functions. And so we're absolutely okay with that. We have women who lead community groups and who, who lead in all kinds of settings with both, both men and, and, and women. And we also believe that some women are gifted and called to preach. Uh, That's why Pastor Jeanette preached here a few weeks ago, right? That's why Paul gives instructions on how to prophesy within the local church. And when that happens, so for Jeanette, when she does so, just like the women in Corinth, uh, like me, when I preach, when I stand up here, uh, we do so under the authority of our elders. Well, so that's kind of the church probably have some questions there and that's that's fine Uh, we can talk about those um what about at home because again the Bible gives even fewer like clear concrete descriptions of what that looks like Things like who does the cooking or cleaning, who brings home the bacon, or how decisions are made. I mean, all those are cultural things, right? Uh, They change in one culture from the next. And so to say that it has to be one way because that's what our parents did, I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? The Bible doesn't spell those things out for us. Every family has to figure out for themselves the specifics of those things, seeking God's wisdom together. Uh, Kathy Keller, for example, she writes, uh, God gives unalterable commands... But he also gives us freedom to obey them in culturally diverse ways. And so yes, there are commands, there are principles for us, and yet how we work them out within our own relationships, a lot of that is up for us to, to figure out, right? With within a place of a mutual submission and respect. But we do know this, okay? It's not completely just figure it all out, right? That men, you're to die every day for your wife. Period. Every one of your, your desires, your rights, your needs, all of them go in the back seat, every one of them. And you give of yourself every day for your family. Because that's, that's what Jesus did. And frankly, I mean, if you exploit or take advantage or abuse them, shame on you. That, that is not anything what God would have for any of us. Instead, we, we, we give ourselves away, and we, we, we seek to make it as easy as possible for our wives to respect us, right? Even when they don't deserve it, because they're not going to all the time. And yet, we still, we still give ourselves away. The women? I don't know. It's easier for me to talk to the guys, right? Because I... I know my issues, right? And so I'm sorry, guys, if it feels like I'm, I'm harping on you, it's because it's I have a mirror, right? And I look and I know, I know the issues that I struggle with. And so for women, it's, it's gonna be different. I don't, I don't know what it is for you. I think, I think Paul would say it's to respond, right? With respect, humility, and, and, and grace. And not, not in a subservience or acquiescence, right? Um, don't be a doormat. If you need help here, if you feel like you're being abused or mistreated, Talk to somebody, please. Talk to us. We want, we want to help in that. There's, there's no grounds for that at all. And yet you're also called to die to yourself, not just men. So make it easy for your husband to do the same. Make it easy for him to give up his rights, even when he doesn't deserve it, because he probably won't. I mean, for Kelly and me, the way we work this out, I mean, it really is a dance in so many ways. I mean, when it's not a, a wrestling match, it gets into that occasionally. But it is a dance, and it's one of those things where there, there are parts in the music when I take the lead and parts when she takes the lead. And if you even ask, like, how do we do it all, I'm not even sure I could explain it to you. It's sort of mysterious, right, the way it, it, it works, but sometimes at least, right, when, when we're submitting to God together, it works, right? There's something beautiful, something powerful about mutual love and respect within a relationship, within marriage. Well, what about everywhere else? Well, believe me, women can and should be CEOs and senators and business owners and presidents and you name it, right? And have the principle for all of us, men and women alike, no matter who we are, no matter where we're, we serve, no matter how we're called, right, is that we live like Jesus no matter what, no matter how he made us. And God gives up everything. Jesus gave up everything for us he lets the Father take the lead, not as a sign of weakness, but his willingness to take the lesser place is the only reason you and I have hope. And so yes, it's, it's a mystery, to say the least. And it's hard, and it's going to be really hard to actually live out these words. And I'm sure, right, just like me, you have lots of questions still from what Paul is getting at with some of these weird things he says. And yet at the end of the day, it is for glory that God made us different. And so let's pray and let's, let's thank him for that. God, I'm so grateful that we're not all the same. God, I'm, I'm thankful that there is beauty in being different, that there is beauty and glory in needing one another and that we together as men and women get to tell your story in everything that we do. God, I pray that we would do that well. I pray that we as men would die to ourselves and give up our rights. And I pray that the women here would respond with joy and faithfulness, not, not subservient, but in ways that reflect, God, your design for all of us, and that together there would be incredible joy. Be glorified, we pray. Amen.